Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the latest Andy J podcast. We have three very interesting guys for you on the show this week. Robson Green, Ralph Little and Ollie Ollerton. Now Robson, who you'll hear last, he is an absolutely fascinating guy. I'm sure you're aware of his brilliant acting career and of course he was also a very successful singer and TV presenter. Top man, having a fascinating chat. Now we we spoke uh, just over a week ago now and at the time his programme was called Walking Hadrian's Wall. It's since had a change, it's called Coast to Coast or Walking Coast to Coast now um, on Channel 5. Just wanted to kind of pick that one up. Then uh, the wonderful Ollie Ollerton. I mean, talk about an incredible, phenomenal human being. He is, of course, from SAS Who Dares Wins, but his career prior to that is absolutely remarkable. I mean, here's a guy whose story started as a youngster when he was attacked by uh, an adult monkey and, uh, and it nearly killed him. And then he decided to fight back. Some incredible, incredible revelations from him. It's, it's a conversation that has really stayed with me. And first up, we'll hear from Ralph Little, star of The Royal Family, star of Death in Paradise. And incidentally, you may have seen on social media a man who actually asks me to marry him. Let's find out why. The Andy J Podcast. I am elated to welcome a man who is, well, I'm not going to tell you too much about where he is because he'll be able to tell us, but he is an acting legend, literally acting royalty. It's the one and only Ralph Little. How are you doing, Ralph? <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot better after that intro. Thanks very much. <laughs> I'm very happy to be bigged up so so nicely. It's I just When I got told that, that you were up for a chat, I was absolutely thrilled. And I get I'm, you must get this all the time, Ralph, because I've been kind of... I don't know, growing up with you for decades. I mean, you've been on our screens now in so many of the most beloved TV shows there are, and you've had such pivotal roles in all of them. You must kind of, you must get a lot of goodwill. <laughs> That's actually a lovely compliment, but slightly a double-edged sword, because anytime anyone goes, oh, I've grown up with you, I'm thinking, yeah, that makes me old. <laughs> well, I hear you. So, but uh, <laughs> apart from that... <laughs> the good news for that, for you, is I am significantly older than you, so that makes me really old. Oh, OK. Fair, fair enough. That makes you feel a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew I could redress the balance. This is the advantage, and you'll get this... Yeah, you've done well. You, you could just kind of own it. Yeah, I'm an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's yeah, it, it is works. what it is. Happens to all of us. <laughs> Yeah. So look, there's loads I want to talk to you about, ranging from, if this is cool, I want to have quite a big chat with you, ranging from how sure. you were very nearly a doctor, your brother and sister, of course, the royal family, etc, etc. But I'd like to start with, it's not a new show, we've been aware of it for a decade, but it's out again, season 10 is here, with Death in Paradise. You happy to chat about that first? Very happy to chat about it, please do. Talk to me about this. When you were, because someone asked me to describe them, you know, it's amazing. You, you kind of, it seems to be one of those things that in the UK, there are people that either love Death in Paradise 
or people who just haven't seen it. That's literally, it's as simple as that. If, if you've watched it, <laughs> yeah. you basically love it. You know what I mean? And if you haven't watched yeah. it, you don't know what it is. Yeah. So someone said to me, well, it's what is It's a funny it? thing. Yeah. Well, it's a funny thing. What, someone was asking you what Death in Paradise was or what the, what the, yeah. what the, um, attract, I, the magic of it is. I said, what did you say? I said to them, it's Cluedo in Speedos. <laughs> I'm nicking that. That is a hundred percent what I'm going to say. Uh, one of the things I would say is, um, yeah, it's um, Colombo in the Caribbean. Yeah, <laughs> and you're Colombo. Yeah, Congratulations. Speedo is Colombo in the Caribbean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy with that. In fact, there was a couple of moments this um, this, ser- this series where I sort of went to walk away, not really thinking about it. I went to sort of finish a scene, and there's a bit where I go, um, oh, except of course, or something like that. And I went to walk away and then sort of came back in. And we did a rehearsal. I went, well, I'm, I, can't, I can't do that because it's just Columbo. The only way I could do that is if I walk away and then I come again going, I'm sorry, I'm watching. My wife loves it. It's like, you can't get away with that kind of nonsense. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. If you yeah. could fit in yeah. just one more thing, that would be... <laughs> I know. I have, I have a couple of close calls, but I, 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 I really, really wanted to do a couple of them. But... Um, you know what? I'll try and squeeze one in. If, if if we go again, I'll try and squeeze one in. Oh, you you Just can't you. you can't not go again. I mean, that that would be glorious, by the way, <laughs> if you did fit it in. I mean, this show is never going to end, is it? It's just so beloved. It, it, every single season seems to have more and more and more viewers. And of course, right now, captive audience here in well, the UK, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I can tell you as well that um, you know we we are we are going again. In fact. Um, um, let me know that um, we, we're doing a series eleven, and they've asked me back. So, uh, congratulations! So I'm going. Of course, so you're all are. great. Yeah, thanks very much. I'm Brilliant. Totally, why, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? <laughs> well, do you know, it looks like it's one of those gigs where <laughs> it's filming in an incredible place, but for some reason, you seem to be doing the whole. I'm going to put a jacket and tie on. You know, I've seen some of your your sort of the the, the leads prior to you. Some of them have got away with not quite as many clothes. It looks hot. Are you not yeah. like really in a in a furnace underneath all that? Yeah, the the the, the order of jealousy goes like this: Ardle O'Hanlon managed to only wear like polo shirts and linen trousers. Yeah. Then it then the second luckiest was Chris Marshall, who had who did have a suit but no tie and like a linen light coloured suit. Yeah. Um, then I have it the second. Then Ben Ben Miller has it the worst because Ben, when he turned up, had to wear. A dark woolen suit. <laughs> I think sometimes it was a three-piece. I can't remember, but like a really, really heavy suit with a tie. And in the in the first episode of Ben's um, very first episode of Death in Paradise, somebody says to him, "Sir, why don't you take your jacket off if you're hot?" And he says, "Are you you joking? Aren't you?" Something like, "You're joking, aren't you?" I'm a member of the British Police Force. I couldn't do that. And that one line ruined Ben's entire. <laughs> The entire time as a detective because he always had to have I could never take it off never had an excuse to take it off um, and then third on the list you know uh, I've got it the second worst because I still have the full shirt and tie but it's not quite so bad for me because at least I've got some lighter materials going on but in answer to your question yeah it, it is hot it is hot the truth is it's a it, it's not a big jolly I mean the, the caveat to me telling you this is that um I, I love it. You know, there's not a complaint at all. I absolutely love being out there. I love the island and everything. But it's not a big jolly in as far as it's work and it's hot. It's a physically demanding show, more than you would think, just because the sheer effort of kind of being in that costume, sweating every day. There comes a point sometimes, if, like if, you, if you've been, if it's a long take and, and you're dripping with sweat, you're like, you get this weird fog that goes over your brain and you're thinking, I can barely remember my own name, never mind what I'm supposed to say next. 
So, you know, it's not without its challenges, but um, you do get to swim in the Caribbean Sea every day after, after you finish work. So, you know, it's, it ain't all bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, ex- but that's exactly it, isn't it? You know, there'll be a lot of people that have that kind of, especially at the moment, goodness me, we'd all love a holiday right now. They've been out of bounds for a long yeah. time for, for most of us. But, you know, you yeah. kind of look at it yeah. and you think there are worse places to work, but it is still work and you do still have, I mean, you've got some serious monologues like every episode. That's taking some learning, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, I don't know if you can hear that small plane going over to something that's... Um... Uh, <laughs> they're waving at me. Um, yeah, I do. I have someone like, well, the denouement, they call it, you know, the, the big the big set piece of this genre that's in Agatha Christie and, and Columbo and, and, and Poirot and all that kind of thing. Um, they call it the denouement, which is, which is the, which is the big set piece where the, the inspector gathers all the suspects together. And, which, by the way, the entire concept of a denouement is the most ridiculous thing. If you really think about what it is, what kind of policeman solves a murder mystery and then instead of just going and arresting the, the suspect who they think it is, they gather everyone together for this weird, performative, like, whole thing of going, hey, everyone, instead of just arresting this guy, I want you all to know how clever I am. It's just yeah. such a bizarre thing that, like, would, would never happen. But um, it's a genre that we, you know, we, we know and love and, and we've known and loved for many, many years and, um, and, uh, and it works. People it's, love seeing seeing a mystery unravel. Have you have you seen the movie Knives Out? Yes, exactly. I mean, it's exactly that. It's of that, course, isn't it? that was very much an Agatha Christie kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That. Yeah, it's glorious. I mean, it's glorious. It's just. I mean, I think I called it a guilty pleasure. It's just delightful. You know, you you kind of fall into it. You escape into it. And sometimes, I, I'm I'm guessing you. There's a little bit of tongue in cheek from t- at times. You know, you kind of you guys know. You know, you're not making cracker as it were, you're making something that's just it's, no. just, it's just a joy. Do you know what I mean? Well, it is. But I mean, at the, at the risk of, I was going to say at the risk of sounding defensive, that's even too strong a phrase. But, but I'm sort of trying to, um, I'm trying to steer this, this now, because I used to say it as well, I'm trying to, because I've always been a fan of the show, but I'm trying to steer this um, notion of a guilty pleasure. I'm trying to steer, steer uh, the narrative away from that, because actually, I don't think there's anything to feel guilty about. I think it's a really good show. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and having well, yeah. been there, Having been there and done it myself, um, sorry, I'm right next to a small airport, so you're going to have um, little planes going over me sometimes, Sam, if you can hear that today. Um, yeah, having uh, been a fan of it myself and, and, and having seen it now and worked on it myself, there is a lot of effort and a, a lot of work goes into making it look as effortless as it is uh, and as kind of as, as easy as it is and as lighthearted as it is. You know, um, yes, it's, it's a bit tongue in cheek at times, but the the the, the scripts are as carefully fine tuned as, as as any as any you might hope for because to strike that right tone and that right balance to deliver week in week out what the um, what the fans want and what the audience wants and, and to satisfy that you know, it's, and and also not only wrap up a mystery each week but also further the character development and the yeah. narrative and the interplay between characters and to do it all in an hour most of these shows are an hour and a half long but this is to do it all in an hour. Like you know, there's 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 a lot of a lot of skill goes into making it look as um, as uh, as easy as it is. No, you're so right, and actually, you make such a valid point. We've watched <laughs> we've watched your character journey, your character arc alongside these kind of lovely, baffling murders, intriguing puzzles, and yeah. etc. You know, you're so right. You, I'm so pleased you're telling me all this because you you know you haven't told me off as it were. Yeah. But you've, you've corrected that that kind of guilty pleasure thing very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I hope you don't feel torn up. No, but it's 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 a, it's a it's a phrase that we all use about stuff, and and you, and, and now, and you know, I used to say it's not. I'm like, what's there to be guilty about? This was a really, it's a really, really high quality show. Tonally, it might not be um, to the taste of people who are, who who are into Scandi Noir and and um, The Wire, but you know, someone like me, I I, I think there's. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of all of it. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's fine. And you know what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see Bunk. I could see Bunk totally making a guest appearance. You know? Oh my goodness! Wouldn't that be the best thing in the world? <laughs> Just Bunk turning up yeah. in the middle of the Caribbean, furious, <laughs> smoking his cigar, swearing everywhere. Oh, that would make my day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be incredible. I mean, it would, just, it would just be wonderful to see. Speaking of which, you do have, I mean, you've got a litany of glorious special guests. The show, of course, Death in Paradise, we're talking about, it's on BBC One, Thursday nights, where well, I think we're two in now here in the UK, so there's uh, plenty more to come over the next few weeks, which is fantastic. But, you know, you've got the likes of Kelvin Fletcher and Jason Manford and Kelly Shirley, you know, names that we know and love, who've all kind of had their opportunity to star in the show as well. It's just, it's so many treats, isn't it? I mean, one of the. Th- I mean, getting great guests has always been a um, one of the, the strengths of the show. Actually, um, uh, you're able to get these fantastic names from from British theatre and TV and, and film and and, uh, and America sometimes as well. I mean, you know, it does help when you want to go to um, some some big fantastic actor, some huge name. It does help that you get to go. Yeah, I mean, do you want to come to the Caribbean for a couple of weeks? <laughs> it, does, it definitely helps to sell the idea to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been wonderful this year. Um, and what's been really nice is um, it's always lovely to meet different, uh, you know, you meet so many new people and they come in for a couple of weeks and they got, and every, every guest cast for every episode has a different dynamic and a different flavor. And um, you get to do all sorts of things. I always feel such, such ownership of Guadalupe, the island where we shoot, because I love it so much that, I always feel like I want to be like, hey guys, um, so what would you like to see? Do you want to go to hike up to this waterfall, hike up the volcano? Do you want to go scuba diving? I can show you this restaurant. And sometimes people are like, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. And so I get to do all that. I get a feeling occasionally people are like, can you leave me alone? I just want to lie by the pool. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so there is a bit of that from time to time. But yeah, the, the, the guests this year are fantastic. And it's been a, it's been a real... <clears throat> I think that they, we really wanted to um, treat the fans. Uh, it's been ten years. We really wanted to give the, reward the fans for their loyalty and, and and people who watch it and give them something that they can get excited about. So, as usual, there's a fantastic array of guest stars. Um, <clears throat> Patrick Robinson's seen, you know, um, Kelly, uh, Jason Manford, Kelvin, all of those. Oh, no, J- Jason, by the way, was I love this. Jason was the warm up guy, the, the warm up comedian for some of the early series of Two Pints. So I've known him for years. Oh. Yeah, and then and then he did that for two series, and then he left, and I watched him just become this superstar in his own right. So it just felt like a lovely, you know, I've seen him from time to time over the years, but <clears throat> this felt like a lovely reunion to be able to go, hey, mate, did you ever think that we were both going to be here in the Caribbean 20 years later? Oh, I yeah. certainly didn't. So, oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that, that was really nice. But um, yeah, in terms of treats for the fans, you know, you've got the return of some absolutely adored characters. Josie Jobert comes back, and is um, is my uh, detective partner, and she's fantastic and a, a big fan favourite. But then you've got Sarah Martins from the um, and uh, who makes a return from you know from the original cast, yeah, and then days. somewhat improbably Ben Miller comes back as well, which is very interesting considering he's dead. 
I should Amazing. say Richard Poole is dead, not Ben Miller, before, before, had, before, before Twitter lights up with people's concerns and wishing him, you know, saying, oh, he'll be missed. So Ben Miller is very much alive. Ben Miller's trending. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, <laughs> Ralph- yeah, Ben Miller's trending because Ralph Little said he was dead. <laughs> that, that, that's not the headline we want from this. No, but it's an interesting takeaway. <laughs> it's, all, it's all part of the fun. Yeah. Uh, Ralph, yeah. You, you've mentioned your, yeah. your backdrop. You've obviously got planes flying overhead and so on and so forth. Uh, just tell us where you are right now because, you know, we, we here in the UK, it's pretty cold. It gets dark very, very early. And yeah, I mean, lo- yeah. lockdown is in full force. In my case, I'm homeschooling again because the schools are shut, etc. Are you are you feeling my pain or are you uh, in a slightly different situation? Yeah, sorry to... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to... <laughs> but, but I'm walking around... I'm walking around topless as we speak in my shorts in the back garden in Florida uh, with the sun beating down on me in the, in the shades. I'm um, just walking past the swimming pool. Um, not my house; it's my uh, it's, it's the father-in-law's. I don't have a swimming pool, I can assure you. But uh, yeah, um, look, right, my, my girlfriend's American and, and grew up in Florida. So um, right, right at the end of the shoot uh, this this year, we only finished in we only finished like four weeks or so ago in um, uh, just before Christmas okay. uh, in the Caribbean. And right before we finished, there, there was a back and forth debate between um, me and me and the missus about she was in Florida about, about where I was going to go when I finished because I, I had had a load of commitments in, in England, a load of um, uh, TV appearances, whether it was, you know, um, uh, the one show and the range. Since they talk about Death in Paradise, it's all about the upcoming show like we're doing now. So I, it was, it's very important for me to do that right. And I was like, look, I'm sorry. I said to the missus, I'm sorry. I, I need to go back to England. I've got to go and do all this stuff. She's like, I'm not seeing you for months. You're coming to Florida. And in the end, of course, she won. Who am I kidding? Why was that ever even a... Absolutely. Like, of course I did what I was told because, yes. because you know, I'm, I'm not stupid. Um, <laughs> so I, I came to Florida. I, 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 I booked this flight to Florida. And almost as I was about to set off to the airport, uh, a bit begrudgingly and a bit like, oh, part of me thinks I should come back to England. Almost to, to that moment, uh, news came out that uh, you went back into Tier 4 and had since went back into lockdown. And, you know, I, it, it's, it's awful having to say to you, Mrs., you were right. I, I'm sure you're aware. But um, but I did, <laughs> because I, she was. And it <laughs> turned out to be a, a very, very lucky decision. I think it's a sentence I utter at least five times a day. So, you know. Oh, I, listen, of course. If that's, that's, called, that's, that's just great tactics. <laughs> yeah happy wife happy life you know all of that kind of stuff i mean exactly, you've, exactly. you've mentioned that you're yeah. engaged of course but but you've also if you don't mind me picking up on this you've also referred mm-hmm. to the gardeners as, as the garden of your father-in-law uh, i mean is there more than engagement have you done something that you haven't told people about yet <laughs> no 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 that's just um that was just an easy turn of phrase nice. i don't want to have to say well, I'm my girlfriend's dad's back garden because, because to be fair, if she ever hears that, she goes, it's such a weird way to refer to me. I'm like, I don't know how you want me to refer to you. But no, um, although I was on the one show a few weeks ago and, and Alex Jones sort of, I don't know, I think maybe the producer was talking to me. We had this whole conversation about how, um, how my other half had sort of vaguely suggested it would be fun to, to get married in Guadeloupe one day. And I was like, no, that's a terrible idea because all the time I'm in Guadeloupe, I'm, I'm busy filming a TV show, when would that possibly happen? And uh, Alex Jones, I think, didn't quite hear what I was saying properly and just moved on by going, 
oh, well, fantastic news. You'll be married soon. Anyway, and I was like, whoa, I didn't say it, but, I, but the conversation moved on. I got off that, that interview and then I had about 20 emails, including from my parents going, congratulations, when's the date? I'm like, so I was like, Alex, Alex basically outed me in, 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 in setting a date for a wedding that hasn't happened or, is, or there's, are there are no plans for. So, no, um, that's that's the only news on that one. Amazing. Is, so it, is, uh, ne- is that Alex Jones so is next trouble. week. Wow, well done, Ralph. That's brilliant to hear. I'm yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and move on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah. you'll be live streaming yeah. that on Tinternet. Lovely. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking of the yeah. internet, oh my goodness, that was an Alan Partridge moment. My apologies. But nonetheless, I wanted to talk to you about your defense of the NHS because I I am on your side 100% here you know it's something that you've done historically over Twitter and so on and so forth you've you've been very outspoken kind of defending it and there's a there's a keen reason for this and it's not just because you're a smart man who, who has a sort of proper brain on your shoulders but it's also because of your connection to medicine both through the family and indeed through yourself yeah you you very very nearly became a doctor I did. Well, I say very nearly. I was a good five years off it, but I certainly started medical school. Well, I did about, um, I mean, you know, I only did about five weeks or so. So it's uh, <laughs> anything you need to know about, what did I learn about? Yeast infection of the gums. If you need to know about yeast infection of the gums, I can help you. But any other ailment, you, you have to go and see a real doctor. Um, that's, that's what I learned about. But yeah, so, so I did it briefly. Um, and then what actually happened was I started medical school at the same literally the same week that the first episode of the Royal Family was broadcast. And I had, an, you know, a massive, uh, 18 years old, this huge life decision about which path I was going to take, arguably, for the rest of my life. And then, um, obviously, here I am and the rest is history. And I've had, I've had too much fun to have any regrets, to be fair. But um, So, yeah, so I did start medical school, but my brother's, he's 10 years younger than me, my brother's a doctor, so my mum my got one, so she's happy. Um, <laughs> and my sister's a nurse. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're both, they're both uh, NHS workers, and obviously it's a really um, difficult time for all NHS workers and and, uh, and what's going on with, with the pandemic. And and that's fine. You know, my, my brother and sister are both pretty, they're pretty stoic. You know, they, they, they don't, they're not whinging about it at all, really. They're just going, yeah, this is what it is. This is what we trained for. This is the disease, and yeah. we go to work because that's our job. Um, and that's like so many NHS workers. They're, they're just stoic, and, and they go about it. And they don't expect, they don't expect, you know, a load of praise and thanks necessarily. But I, I think what they do expect is, is to be paid reasonably and not work hours that put themselves and patients in danger and not to be taken for granted and not when they leave uh, their shift, their, you know, long, long, long hours that they've done on a shift, not to have all the shelves stripped of essential foods because people have panic bought. That's, it's that kind of thing that, that that's the problem. and and. You know, I, I fully joined in with the, with the NH with the clapping for the NHS. I thought it was a beautiful thing yeah. for about two weeks, for about three weeks. But it, it did start to get hijacked, like a lot of so many lovely things. It, it started to get hijacked by people who who wanted to, I don't know, performatively do it to to to, see, to seem virtuous. So, you know, to people, I hate the term virtuous signaling because it's usually it's usually used to indicate um, somebody who's just not awful, uh, but. Talk about virtue signaling, the kind of people who vote against the interests of the NHS but then want to film themselves clapping away and banging pots and pans and setting up fireworks. There's a hypocrisy there that, that really, really winds me up. And, and I have to say, I can't speak for NHS workers, but the two I know, it winds them up too. I bet. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's that's because most NHS workers are, are pretty smart too. You know, they've gone through training, they've lived their lives, and as as you say, stoic is a, is a good word actually for it. You know, I, I mean, my yeah. sister my sister works frontline NHS as well, and you know, you, you just get the sense they roll up their sleeves and they get on with it. You know, they're not the clapping's nice yeah, and the rest exactly. of it, but they're not doing it for that. They're doing it because their calling is save lives. No. You know, uh, yes, exactly, and and. I, I, so I want to be careful. I just want to be very, very clear to anyone who's like, well, I, I thought the clapping was really lovely. So did I, and yeah. so did. And again, I'm not speaking for NHS workers as a whole. I'm speaking for my family that I talked to about this. They appreciated it too. They thought it was a beautiful, lovely gesture, and it really filled them with warmth and joy and, 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 and to feel appreciated like that. But it was depressingly predictable that not that long later, there were calls to, for pay cuts in the NHS and the narrative shifted so quickly, especially in the, in the media, certain sections of the media, to this idea that, that they're being greedy because they're asking for more money. It's like, well, well which is it? Mm. Because claps don't put food on the table. Um, and, you know, sorry, that this has got into a massive political rant, hasn't it? But at the end of the day, I, 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 I'm a big defender and supporter of the NHS. Yes, because of my family connection, but actually I was originally anyway because it would be madness to think that the, 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 the statistics are very clear that the value for money of the NHS, the value for money of care that you get of an insurance system, of a national insurance system rather than a private insurance system, the value is absolutely incredible. Um, and we'd be mad to think that, that we'd want to lose it. Are there, problem, are, there, are there sometimes long wait times? Is, is it difficult? You know, do you sometimes have to wait too long? And blah, blah? Yeah, of course, because in any big organisation, and especially a big organisation that's underfunded, there's always going to be um, problems in the margins, but that there's always a margin of error. But that doesn't mean that the, the thing's not fit for purpose. It's a, it's a, the most extraordinary achievement we've got. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I also wasn't expecting yeah, such yeah. A, such an impressive um, conversation about the NHS with you, Alpha. I didn't didn't mean to go, <laughs> didn't mean to open Pandora's box. Well, there. But, uh, you know, kudos to you for yeah, saying. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm trying to get it back closed. <laughs> I'm trying to well, get it back closed. I, I don't mean, know. No, no, no. Listen, I was like, the, yeah, the, you know, blah blah. And then I started talking, and it was 15 minutes later, we're just scratching the surface. <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely. But uh, listen, the key thing I take away from from what you said there is that you're getting married next week, and I think, and um, congratulations to you for that because. That's massive, yes, you know. Yes, thank you, and I'm glad. I'm glad that we can keep returning to this. It's important that that message gets out. There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Look, I'm going to get more emails from people. <laughs> I'm going to get more emails from people that didn't see the one show, but have listened to this. Going, when's the date? When's the date? Like, it's not. Happening. <laughs> <laughs> it has to happen sometime, man. You know, you can't. You can't just kind of never get married. I mean, well, that's true. The only person I know that that's worked for is Ben Ofwedu and Vanessa Feltz, who I think have been engaged for 17 years. You, you don't want to be like that. <laughs> that's quite sweet, though. There's something about that that's quite sweet, I think. But uh, no, that's <laughs> well, not the plan. Having not but, met you, missus, I, I, I don't know I, how I think she'll feel. But <laughs> I, doubt, I doubt she wants a 17 year No, I know. I'm hoping she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so either. But um, no, we'll, we'll, I think we'll see how, when the world returns back to something like normality, then. Um, that, you know, all of us can start to... I think the pandemic has made a mockery of anything approaching plans for all of us, hasn't it? Yes, so, um, yes absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, as much as, yes, I am in Florida and, um, and uh, I'm looking up to be in the sunshine, I'm still in the same boat as far as... I don't know, what, I don't know what's happening in, in the near to distant future. We've just got to sit tight and hope for the best. Well, Ralph, I have a suggestion for you with regards to yeah. with regards to the wedding. Okay, and there's bear with me here. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I'm basing this on a couple of little facts about you, right? A, you're a humanist, I believe. Um, yeah, I, I had a humanist wedding yeah. myself. They're absolutely glorious. As you probably know, with a humanist wedding, you don't, you don't need a vicar. You can have, uh, you know, somebody who's uh, who's just in your groove. And I'm wondering if maybe the person yeah. that was your celebrant as your humanist celebrant, I'm wondering if that could be Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill? Yeah. As in, as in Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, being married by Mark Hamill would be the great. Frankly, and again, I'm hoping the missus doesn't listen to this, but like, I'll marry anyone if Mark Hamill's the guy who's presiding (laughs) over the ceremony. Well, Mark Hamill once said, "To be honest, Andy, I'll marry, I'll marry, I'll marry, I'll marry you if I knew that Mark Hamill was going to be there. That would be that would be fine with me. The man's a legend." (laughs) Do you know what? To be fair, Ralph, I'll marry you if Mark Hamill's up for it. I mean, that you know, there's. There you go. I've said yes. <laughs> what can I do? This could be the start of a beautiful uh, avenue of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I reference Mark Hamill is because he once said the Royal Family was his favourite show. And I think that's a fact that you're aware of. I hope so. Otherwise, I've taken you down a very weird tangent. But why not? No, no. I, I, I assumed that's what you were, why you were saying it. Yeah, uh, that, that to me is, is one of the most extraordinary things. Um, uh, and most weird, fantastic, lucky moments in a, in a life that's had plenty of them because I've been very lucky. But yeah, if my you know if my five year old self could have ever not even just liked the show, but if my five year old self could have ever thought that Luke Skywalker would even be aware of it of, of, of my existence or, or do you know what I mean? It was yeah, like yeah. that would have blown my tiny mind. And um, you know, and I think he's a I'm a, I'm a big fan of all his work actually. Um, uh, he's, he's an extraordinarily talented um, uh, actor, mo- mostly known these days for voice work. But if yeah. you've ever played Batman: Arkham Asylum or watched the, the his his, vo- his voice work, unbelievable. The he's jo- in an impression of Han Solo. Oh. Man's a genius. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, he plays, he plays the Joker in, with with a, with a flawless English accent. And yeah, man's a genius. So yeah, not just um, not just uh, because Luke Skywalker is Luke Skywalker, but also because Mark Hamill is an absolute dude. You read his Twitter, he's hilarious. So yeah, if, if Mark Hamill happens to be listening to this, please come and marry me and Lindsay. That would be great. Well, I, you say you and Lindsay, but actually you did say you and me, Ralph. So, I mean, let's just... Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase. If Mark Hamill happens to be listening to this, please come and marry me and Andy. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I'm fine. Totally fine. That's even a real offer. <laughs> I mean, right, I am. Mark Hamill is known to interact with people on Twitter from time to time. I am now reaching out. I'm going to get this clip. I'm going to put it on and see if he responds. Please do. Please we could, do. We, we, could, we could be in a very strange new world. And I'm up for it. I'm, I'm you know, so long as you don't mind my, my actual wife and kids joining us in the marriage, then, you know, we could have a lot of fun. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. We'll keep it platonic with, uh, with, with the respective wives. But I don't know, you and I might have to have a few drinks and consummate. But what, it's to meet Mark Hamill and have him preside, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, it works for me. I'm, I'm in. I'm in. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph, what a joy. There's so much I wanted to talk to you about, and now I'm totally thrown. It's brilliant. <laughs>
Excellent. I love it. I love it. Listen, what a legend you've been. It's been a huge amount of fun. And I can wish you only huge success. I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll be coming to Guadeloupe for the next series, obviously, as your as your partner. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to I was going to gonna say, yeah, yeah. Or, or bring in your wedding dress, either or. <laughs> so I'm the chick, am I? Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm good with that as well. No problem. Don't have to be. We can both be in dresses. We can both be in dresses. It's a modern world. I don't yeah. mind. Yeah, to, if, I'd, I'd like that, actually. <laughs> both of us in dresses. Hamill there, you know, doing his British <laughs> accent. Maybe with Bunk, you know, just as a guest. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, Mark. If he does it, he has to do it as the Joker. And Bunk from The Wire has to be there to to oversee everything. This has turned into the greatest idea of all time. We have to make this happen. I'm totally in. But can we make sure that that Alex Jones is is live streamed in somehow via Facebook or, or, I don't know, FaceTime or something? You know, just to to congratulate us. Yeah, I'd like it to. Yeah, we'll make sure she announces the date. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fantastic. We're on. Amazing. Amazing. Ralph, what a joy. It's been a, such a pleasure. I wish you only joy and happiness moving Thanks, forward. And I, I hope we get to chat again uh, before our nuptials, of course, because uh, that would be that would be brilliant. Amazing. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Take care. All right, of yourself, thanks, a lot, thanks so much. Have a great one. Right. The Andy J Podcast. I think our next guest is going to be absolutely fascinating. You'll know him from a raft of different shows, starting, of course, with SAS Who Dares Wins. He's now a multi-award winning, super successful, and he's got loads of books out author. He's an all-rowl engine, and frankly, I'm a bit scared to talk to him because, basically, we could probably chat for about seven or eight hours based on the, the just the, the crumbs of his life that I've learned so far. It is the one and only Ollie Ollerton. How are you doing, Ollie? I'm doing great, Andy. I, have, I feel... Um very humbled after that introduction honestly genuinely ollie i've got a big i've got two books here right i've got battle ready and i've got star scar tissue two very different books and we'll, we'll get onto both of them but my word mate i mean i thought i knew about you beforehand from watching the show and just because you know you're ollie ollerton you're a famous fella but my word the detail that you go into about your life and your battles and your struggles and your coming out the other side i mean i feel i feel like we should be having a hug yeah, I know, mate. There's a lot between the lines, isn't there? Between the uh, between the cracks. So, yeah, there's there's a lot. I think also you, you know, a lot of people see, you know, special forces soldier now on TV, and they they don't understand, and that's and rightly so. They don't understand the uh, you know the bits in between, and that's a really interesting bit, and really where I had my hardest times. But you know, you grow the most in your hardest or darkest hours. Well, do you know what, Ollie, and, and that's something I really, really do want to talk about, because I've got to say, prior to prior to reading the book properly, in my head, I had you kind of in the, in a similar sort of bracket to the likes of your kind of Bear Grylls and your Ray Mears, you know, kind of ex-army, super successful at kind of, you know, fending for yourself, uh, really good in, in the wild, just able to kind of take on anything, and the world was your oyster. You know, you'd seen the front line, but, you know, you'd come out the other side, come into civilian life, and now just kind of charging at the world because you've got all this training and all this mental strength, and boom, you can smash the world to pieces. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and that's kind of how I imagine, because, of course, that's also how you appear on SAS Who Dares Wins. You know, you're setting the tasks, you're getting these celebrities and these members of the public through these really incredible challenges and we know you have done them and can do them. So there's just this public perception that, yeah, he's hard as nails and he can he can basically handle anything. But then you start reading the books and realising, well, actually, that's not the case at all. No, that's it, mate. I tell you what, it's, it's quite funny. I was sitting there thinking then and I thought, you know what? 
the actual special, the special forces bit was the easy bit. Wow. <laughs> the bit, the, the bit before the special forces and the bit after the special forces, that was really the tough bit. You know what? And I thought, you know, I thought SAS selection was the hardest thing. It is the hardest thing I've ever chosen to do. Um, but, um, but really, you know, I had no idea about the, the war that was ahead of me and that was on me myself. So, um, yeah, and I am out the other side now, which is, you know, I've, I've grown and developed so much in the last six or seven years. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not been plain sailing by any degree of, uh, of um, the imagination. Well, this is so interesting to learn, Ollie, because, I mean, one of the quotes that you, you pull out in your book, Battle Ready, which, by the way, is, is such a great read, and I, and I recommend anybody, wherever your head's at, and, of course, COVID has kind of changed the mindsets of so many of us. It's changed the livelihoods of, of just people all over the world. Scores and scores of people are having to refresh, renew, be as resilient as possible. And Battle Ready feels, I mean, absolutely perfectly timed for, for anyone just kind of going, how do I get through this? What do I do? One of the quotes that I'm, I'm getting back to is a man with a why can tolerate almost any what, which you, you pull out as obviously Nietzsche's famous quote. And I guess that's what you're alluding to when you left the special forces. You know, you came out of something where you had a purpose, you had a mission, you had a goal, you had teammates, you knew what you were doing. Day to day, you knew what your reason for waking up was in the morning and why you were getting as much sleep as you could at night. And then you leave and everything changes. Yeah, and I think, I think to be honest, I mean, it, it is, I, I'll back you up on that, Andy. You know, the, the, the book that's battle ready at the moment is so perfect for this situation that people are finding themselves in. And also the fact, you know, we, you know, a lot of people struggle to understand the transition from the military to civilian life because that transition is extremely tough. But, you know, people are experiencing this right now. You know, the, you know, people who have been stood down, so to speak, from their jobs, they're, um, you know, they've lost the structure to their everyday. They haven't got the contact with their support network, which is their, their mates. And, um, you know, unless you actually find a purpose, and you find some clear direction, um, and you make sure you're disciplined, you go very quickly into a flat spin. And that's definitely what happened to me when I left. You know, I expected the world to be, you know, because I'd achieved a level of greatness being in the Special Forces, when, when you're on the other side of the wire, you feel quite um, invincible. Mm. And then you think, you know, just, um, you know, and you can relate this a lot to Premier League football players, any kind of athlete. You know, when they're at the top of their game and then all of a sudden they, they leave that or they, you know, they, they get past their sell-by date, if you want to call it that, and then they go to the outside world, expecting the outside world to, to deliver everything they think they deserve. And it's just not there. And I think the big thing for me as well, I mean, I had to understand, and I couldn't accept this at the start, is that when you leave something like the Special Forces, something of greatness like that, you have to be prepared, be prepared to take a bow before you can stand up again. And that's a hard sort of concept to accept. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really humbling to hear as well, Ollie, because obviously, and, and one thing I will say about Battle Ready, incidentally, is that anyone thinking, well, hang on, you know, this is, this is written by, you know, an elite soldier who has had to deal with the, the ultimate horrors that we can, we can imagine but, but don't really let our minds go to. So therefore, it's the extreme version. But actually, you're not condescending on any level in your book. You know, you accept that everyone's truth is is completely different and everyone's circumstances you're not kind of saying well just because you were you know you weren't a soldier this should be easy for you you're kind of saying look if you've if you've worked in a shoe shop for example and, and it's now closed and you don't know where you're at this can help you know you can use these techniques that i learned on the front line or facing down enemy soldiers etc you can use those 
in whatever your own circumstances are. And you don't, which is such a kind of relief, because obviously I'm just a kind of little bloke that sits behind my microphone. You know, <laughs> I don't ever, every page, I'm not thinking, well, this is too extreme for me because I'm not a soldier. Every page is just like I can take something from every single piece of advice that you've learned the hardest way possible. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, that's that's why I had to be 100% open. And, you know, because a lot of people think, oh, ex-special forces soldiers, you know, they cut from a different, different cloth. And I've heard it so many times from people saying that. I always correct them. I bleed and breathe just like everyone else. And it's, it's really important to understand that mental health and mental health issues, you know, PTSD, all that, the, the military don't own that. They, they don't own it. There's no checklist. For people to go, yeah, well, I've, this has happened to me. And that's unfortunately what a, a lot of people do. You know, they think, well, I haven't been to war. I haven't done this. I don't deserve to have PTSD. And I don't deserve to. And I feel embarrassed to talk about that because I haven't been anywhere. You know, why should I be suffering? And at the end of the day, if, you're, but if your sort of baseline on life is a, it's a continuous low, then you have mental health issues. And that needs to be corrected. Everyone should be uh, have a spring in their step every day, embracing uh, every day with a, with a, you know, a clear and, and, and focused view. And if you're not doing that, or it's, it's quite the opposite, then, you know, you need to do something about that. And that's why in my book, like I said, I was so open. I was, you know, I, you know actually, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm not, um, you know, in the public eye to fake perfection. And there's so many people doing that on social media and all different platforms, everyone's faking perfection, creating this perception of someone that they are not really, but they're pleasing the outside world. And I think that that's a really dangerous place to be as well, because if you put so much energy into the perception of who you aren't, then the real person who is you is the one that's suffering and cowering in the corner behind closed eyes. I think you're absolutely right, mate. There's a lot of people hiding away, you know, hiding in plain sight, as it were. I mean, yeah. Ollie, you know, you sort of talk about you know how obviously leaving the the special forces was was really the, the the kind of catalyst for everything that followed but actually if you don't mind me saying everything that did follow is a lot more um every man if if i can just list off some of the things that, and please excuse yeah. the intrusion into your private life i'm just i'm just pulling these out of the book rather than specifically trying to kind of come up with things that i've i've found out about you from other sources if you see what i mean um yeah but you know I realised the catalyst was the end of being in in the army. However, you know the things that you then went on to achieve are or, or, sorry, battle against are very very human issues. We're talking about colossal issues with drinking and some drugs, by the looks of things. You know, a, a broken relationship, a couple of failed marriages, not being able to see or speak to your son for huge periods of time. You know, marrying on the rebound, knowing it was wrong. You know, these are all things that that don't just happen to soldiers. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's, that's why it relates to every person because people, you know, everything I've talked about, it doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter if you're an astronaut, if you're, you know, whatever you are, you know, you're going to go through these same things. I mean, you know, again, we're all the same. We make, we make decisions based on emotion. And really, you know, we are just the same as everyone else. And it's really important because, those issues weren't related to the special forces. My life at that point was absolute mayhem, and I say that back to actually when I was ten years old. Um, when I got, um, when I look back now, you know, hindsight never won any wars, but it certainly is good for reflection. And um, you know, I got attacked at ten years old by a chimpanzee 
at the circus. It ripped me to bits. Um, you know, nearly killed me. And um, I look back at my life and I could see why, you know, I didn't deal with that um, trauma. I didn't deal with that. And um, that really sort of um, changed the destiny of my life. And it, it, it created me with this sort of um, emotional um, sort of, I was an emotional void. I didn't really understand consequence. And I lived every, every day like it's this class. Well, and, um, yeah. Let, let's talk about that, Ollie, because... You know, I think quite a few people know this incredible story that you've just out, 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 outlined about the the attack by the chimpanzee. You know, if, if I'll just kind of very briefly go over it as well. You were at the zoo, uh, sorry, at the circus. You were kind of given access to go and see the animals. You were told they were all tethered away. And then you individually spotted a little baby monkey playing on its own. You, you went and kind of bonded with it, only to then be attacked by its mother, um, which, as you say, tore you apart. Now, uh, uh, most people know that much of the story with you and and they also know that you went on and fought back you you mentally sort of said right this is not how my my journey ends not age 10 not being ripped apart and and killed by a monkey and you found the inner strength to somehow kick this monkey off you was it a chimpanzee a female chimpanzee yeah it was a chimpanzee but yeah yeah I mean, you know, it must have been utterly utterly terrifying but but if you don't mind me saying so Ollie, that is as far as the story goes in most of our perceptions. You know, we just know that that's mm-hmm. what happened to you and then that shaped the rest of you. We don't know what happened the second you were found. We don't know how long you were in hospital for, what your family felt and all that. Yeah. I mean, how, how was the more immediate aftermath? Because we know the long-term effects, you know, this, this horrific scar tissue in your brain from the incident. Um, but, but, you know, just tell me about the more short-term incidents after, after the attack. Yeah, well, I mean, I was rushed away to hospital straight away, and um, you know, they tried to patch me up. My arm was, my right arm was, was mostly affected. It, it, it ripped a chunk out of my arm. Um, but then after that, you know, I thought that was, uh, and this is what we do. And, and I've been able to study this. Uh, you know, what happens when we go through any kind of traumatic incident like that? Our survival, sort of like a mechanism, what it does, it locks up that intimate trauma and allows us to move on. But the thing is, you can't lock that away forever. It needs to be dealt with. Anyway, that's another thing. But um, my immediate sort of, um, in the short term after that, you know, I caught gangrene swell in my arm, in the same arm, well, in, in the same where the major wound was. And I, I caught gangrene in there. And I was actually in South France at the time with my family on holiday. I actually went to the hospital, to a doctor's to private surgery where I was pinned to a, um, to a treatment bed. My father had his knee in my chest, and the doctor was scrubbing it out with a, with a ethanol, with a proper oh, scrubbing gosh. brush. And, and that, for me, was more painful than, you know, I mean, when I got attacked by the chimp, that was just pure shock. I just went into absolute survival mode. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when, when I went to the hospital, to that doctor's surgery, that was more painful and more horrific than actually getting attacked. Um, so I almost lost my arm, um, you know, a few weeks after the incident. Um, but really, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's, that's why, you know, the, the book, um, uh, my, my new fiction book is called Scar Tissue because although I had these, you know, um, these scars all over my body and, and these, you know, where you say I've been attacked, um, the greatest damage was, was unseen. And, and Scar Tissue is, you know, as a quote on the front of the book, it says every battle leaves its mark. And that really stems back to, you know, when I was attacked by a chimp, although the book is, you know, it, it takes off where I left the special forces um, because the fiction book is very much based on, it has the, the, the wireframe of my life and the character 
Alex Abbott is, mm. is very much um, uh, a carbon copy of what I went through. So there's a, a, a good element of truth, locations, and all kinds of that kind of stuff throughout the book. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I've read it, it, yeah. it, it is incredible. I mean, it's but but I must say, I, I read it Thank after you. reading Battle Ready, and I thought to myself, this is this is not necessarily fiction. You know, <laughs> I realise you've changed yeah. the names and changed the circumstances, but I imagined, obviously, in my head, Alex Abbott translates to Ollie Ollerton. You know what I mean? I was like, this is you. This is your story. Exactly. You know, yeah. which is just, I mean, absolutely terrifying. I, I, again, sorry to dwell on the chimp thing. It's just, it, it is. Yeah, it, no, absolutely. It's just that, that sort of slightly unfinished circle, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah. You know, first up, what happened to the chimp? Was it put down? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, we didn't, um, yeah, I didn't hear much about the chimp. But uh, afterwards, I'm not sure what happened at all there. I mean, as a kid, you know, you're 10 years old, you just crack on. Well, and you don't really look. You don't really look back at all when you're ten years old. Yeah. Well. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, the you say six months after the attack, were you then a nervous, shy little boy that was kind of frightened of shadows, or, or, or did you just kind of take it in your stride and was like, yeah, well, I got attacked by a chimp and I fought back and I survived. So whatever. You know, were you a bit breezy with it? Yeah, yeah. You know what? It wasn't even in the forefront of my mind. It was like something that happened. That, to be quite honest, not long after that. I mean it was a few years is when I started really getting into trouble. I was really pushing the bar and, and I got in a lot of trouble with the police and things like that. But um, immediately I just, you know, and I never really started talking about that until probably 15, 10 years after that moment, you know, and it was, and then it was sort of just a reflection going, you know, I used to tell people and they just used to first start laughing. Um, and I used to do the same with them, but um, yeah, it, it was, um, it was something that, uh, it's quite interesting, you know what, it, it was 1980, and that was exactly the same year that I saw the Special Forces storm the Iranian embassy in London, wow. and that was the seed that really want, made me want to join the Special Forces. So there's a lot went on in that year that really affected my life moving forward. Goodness me, what a, what a defining year that was in your life. I mean, that's, it's almost crazy to think about that level of impact, isn't it? It's um. No, I, I just thought there, Randy. That was actually the year my fiance was born as well. I just thought another. <laughs> that was a busy year. That's a that's a humble brag if ever I've heard one there, Ollie. <laughs> just kind of dropping in. Yeah, she's a she's a decade younger than me. <laughs> oh, I never I never intended that. <laughs> no kudos, mate. Credit where it's due. Uh, thank <laughs> you, mate. Thank you. <laughs> but but I mean, what's interesting is this. I mean, this will be this will be marriage number three, right? So. I, get I don't know if you can count. I don't think you can count Vegas. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Britney, guess... Britney, Britney Spears never. So why should I? <laughs> well, but what I mean is that that you know this this is this is the effectively the third iteration of Ollie. This is chapter three, if you see what I mean. Because it feels to me like there have been three different yous that have led you to be the man you are now. No, a hundred percent. One thing I'll always say on that, and and and. And really, you know, the last six years, seven years, like I said, is, is you know, for the for the my life prior to that, it's been absolute mayhem and nothing. I, you know, although I've I've done some great things, there's been a there's been a lot of turmoil. So, you know, I really turned the turned the corner in 2014-15, where where I actually locked myself away and, and put myself into isolation in 2014, and um, that's where I came up with the content. So I put myself into the process, and that is the content of my book, Back Already. So that's a really interesting point. But the last seven years have really, um, I've, I've, I've 
now got a bearing to, to march on and is one I am proud of moving forward with. Um, and, you know, one thing I'll say and, and one thing I push, you know, in all of my books is the fact that I still haven't achieved my greatest thing yet. And I don't know what that is. And, you know, I, I'm not prepared. Although I've done some great things, I haven't, I don't create a benchmark and then go, no, I've done enough. And, you know, that might change once you get um, older. But, um, you know, I still think that my biggest achievement is ahead of me. And that's one thing that I think we all need to grab onto um, and, and really start to embrace. That's, you know, and, and that's what my books are all about. Although this one is a fiction book, you know, I, I, when, it, when it first came to doing a fiction book, I was like, hold on a second. I really, you know, I've got a real passion for self-development and, and I really want to spread the word of how you can do some quite minor changes, really, in your life to really improve your life. Um, but then when I understood that you can I still deliver those messages and also uh, point the finger to some very specific uh, global issues through storytelling, um, I very quickly got creative around that whole process. It's really interesting, actually, Ollie, because, you know, as you say, you know, your first two books and they have smashed it out of the park, incidentally, Sunday Times bestsellers, etc. I mean, you know, they've been phenomenal successes are very much, as you say, they're kind of they're the, they're the extremely personal self-help books. So approaching Scar Tissue, which is a thriller, it is a work of fiction, despite the fact that you've mined very heavily from your your own life and your own experiences. It is still, you know, a story that you are telling. It must have been a very different approach, and it's an absolute page turner, mate. I mean, I've got to say, some of these, some of these kind of page turny thrillers don't quite hit the mark. Some of them, you kind of you get a couple of chapters in, and you're like, yeah, okay, we've heard this before, we felt these beats before. Yours is completely different. Yours, I mean, I found myself holding my breath for about the first forty pages just to see if you're going to get through the Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> moments, and then you know, and then the next thing I know, you're getting, you know, you're getting into trouble underneath a boat, and it's all kicking off, and it's whoa. I mean, you know, whoo. It's, it's... Yeah, no, yeah. I tell you what, though, Andy. I think it's you know, for me personally, I I'm not, you know, I don't I don't read a lot of, a lot of fiction. But one thing I will read, if it's the same with film, I won't. I'll, I'll I'll watch a film, or I'll be drawn to a film when I hear there's an element of truth or based on a true story, you know, because I, that really compels me. Yeah. You know, it's and that's 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 the thing with this book. I mean, when you look at the likes of Chris Ryan. James Deegan, they're all guys that, you know, I used to serve with. And that's why I'm drawn to them, because I know, you know, the the actual story, the content comes from experience. It's not someone, it's not just a figment of someone's imagination. You know, this is the framework, the, the beat, the heartbeat, the DNA, whatever you want to call it, is based on experience. When you talked about being under a boat on a, on a mission, which is in the book, you know, I've, I've done that. You know, I've been there. So I know about and, and when you can drill down on the very um, intimate detail of doing those kind of operations and what's going on through your head, I think that it's all about the detail that makes it really compelling. Oh, absolutely. Without any shadow of a doubt. I mean, you know, you even even just the tiny things that you will take for granted that most people won't even notice is in there. Like, for example, the brand of binoculars you use under surveillance. You know, in my head, I was just like, they must be brilliant. I bet I bet he's used them for real. You know, I just kind of clocked it because you've really done it. And that's, you know, that's the huge difference between this and just someone that's kind of sitting in a cabin somewhere in, I don't know, Spain, just churning out another bestseller because you know your stuff because you've lived it and it really oh my goodness mate it adds a whole level of jeopardy to it even though i know you're all right i knew we were going to be speaking you know i know that you have personally survived i am still 
on edge for Alex, you know, your lead character, and for his son. I'm not going to give any spoilers away because I encourage people to read this because it's great. And, I don't, you know, it's your place to give away spoilers, not mine. But the whole time, you've got this multiple jeopardy and it's almost like you've got six hearts beating at once because you're just scared for everyone. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's it. You know, that comes down, this take it from the start there, but, you know, that comes down to the weapon systems, the stuff that I used to wear, you know, when I was doing covert operations. Um, everything, all that detail is so, so important. And, um, you know, I've, I think the interesting fact about Alex Abbott, and I can really relate to this, is the fact that he was, you know, he chose to work in an extremely hazardous um, location. You know, that was sort of the calling. After, after the majority of people leave the special forces, I'd say 99%, you'll end up in a war zone fighting a war for someone else or, you know, the highest payer. Um, and Does that make it difficult, Ollie? Because obviously you've, yeah. you've been serving your country, then you're effectively yeah. serving your bank balance. Does it conflict you? Um, I did understand that actually, well, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to have some kind of ethic, ethical reason for taking on the job. I mean, if there's something that really stood out that you should not be doing, you know, ethically, then there's no way I would ever do that. And there's probably people that would, but I wouldn't personally do that. I mean, when I was doing my workout in Baghdad, it was an uh, Iraq, it was, for the, you know, there was, there was a purpose for that and that was to help the Iraqi people, you know, a lot of the infrastructure projects, stuff like that. So it was, it was something very proactive and it, it has to create that sense of um, purpose for me to have to do it. So, but that's a personal thing. Mm. Um, but really, you know, I did understand, you know, we got paid a lot of money, especially coming from the military. You know, I earned, in my first month in Iraq, I earned more than I earned in a year in the Special Forces in Damn one month. Me. There's something so, right there, isn't there? No, and that's it. You know, at the end of the day, it was big money, but the thing was, it was absolutely excessive money when I was in the Special Forces. I just couldn't live on that. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. But, you know, one thing I did learn from being in a war zone, so that I, was, I was over there for five, six years. And, you know, initially, oh, wow, this is amazing. We get paid loads for this. But then after being there for six years and the, 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 the pressure under toll and the, you know, what, how it absolutely um, flogs you in respect to your mental health, you know, it's, no, no job is worth that kind of money, and you know, certainly that's one thing. I, I call it fool's gold now because you're drawn there for the cash. Mm. And really, you know, I saw people go. You know, there were people going home with with missing legs and stuff. No, no real insurance policies. We used to go on the ground, and we always said that if one of us was injured beyond, uh, you know, we'd end up in a wheelchair or it looked, you know, we're injured badly, that we would shoot each other basically Crikey. so you know going having that kind of mental state every day you can imagine that's why I, I just never thought I'd come back you know we got attacked out there time and time again and the thing is when you're in the special forces that's why you know I said before you know I was safest when I was in the special forces because I was invincible I had weapon systems I could call in an airstrike yeah. I could call in naval gunfire I had a bloke to my you know above and below left and to my right I, you feel invincible but when you're out there in the war zone I think that's a really you know you then understand that if it goes wrong and it's just a lottery, you know, you're not coming back. You haven't got the support elements to back you up. I don't know Yeah, It sounds absolutely terrifying. Uh, I mean, yeah. Ollie, Ollie, obviously you're, you know, you now run three businesses as well as SAS Who Dares Wins. You know, you're a phenomenally successful author as we, as we clearly understand now. But do you still have dark days? Do you still have haunted dreams and, and difficult moments? To be honest, no, I don't. Because I've, I've got to the, you know, at the end of the day, the big thing for me, um, and I think a lot of people should engage in this, is the fact that, 
you know, all the time I had issues, I used alcohol as my smoke screen. Mm. And, and the longer you do that, it, it's, um, it's a very short-term friend. You know, very, very quickly uh, becomes your enemy. And um, for me, it was a case of, you know, if I wanted to get to the raw nerve of, of what was going on, there's no way you can do that while you've got that smoke screen, whether that's drink, whether that's drugs, whatever it is. If you're engaging in these external factors, you know, you're never going to get to the raw nerve. So once I took the alcohol away, that halved the issue straight away. Um, and that was the hardest thing for me to do, the hardest thing to, to conquer that. And But once I've done that, um, you know, over these years and, and, and the contents of Battle Ready, you know, the things I go through there, the processes I put in play in 2014, I still do, I did this morning, you know, and that's about having a routine, a discipline routine where I really engage in my health and that's my mindset, my nutrition, my exercise. And once you do that, the return on investment is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. So I know now, I do, you know, I, I know I understand when I'm feeling, when, when I can feel fear. I understand when I can feel any kind of negativity. I understand that, you know, some days I won't feel motivated. But that understanding and appreciation is the one thing that gets me through that. I understand it, you know, happens to everyone it's not that i'm cursed it just happens to everyone and i know time of doing the right things will will push that away absolutely and you can you can never lose on an investment in yourself can you um no ollie one of the things that you say is that age 48 so when your fiance was just 38 incidentally uh you found your inner purpose i'm 49 now you're for, i know <laughs> i know but but at 48 you said you found <laughs> oh, your sorry, inner yeah. purpose. you're 50 you're 50 yeah. soon mate it's uh what is it i am just a few weeks away on 27th of December, if you want to send cards, here's my address. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Any thoughts about the big five zero? Is it is it something that's kind of hanging around your neck, or is it just like yeah, it's just a number? No, you know what? I am I'm so proud. I embrace age because I see it as wisdom. I see it as you know, and also the fact is, you know, I've got this a lot. I want to be. I want to inspire people. You know, um, I think going into the fifties really helps me reach another um, sort of. Um, uh, demographic of, of audience because I really want to do something around that. You know, people when they get to a certain age, you know, they, they think life after forty after forty is, is you know all doom and gloom. But really, for me, it's been my greatest years, and I want people to understand that. Um, you know, it's how you frame things. If you start thinking, oh, I wish. I mean, for instance, I don't. I'm not that kind of person that says or <laughs> ever says, I wish I was 21 again. No frigging way. No really? chance. <laughs> that was hard work. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think 50 years old and every year after that, you know, healthy, fit and, um, you know, and happy. I think, um, yeah, we can all, we should all take a piece of that and, and understand that, um, it's wisdom, wisdom and growth and happiness and health. Absolutely. Uh, and there is something I'm doing that's a surprise, so, but it's going to be quite, quite big. On your actual birthday or just to celebrate? On my actual 50? birthday. Oh, on fantastic. Actual, yeah, yeah, on my birthday. So Amazing. I can't, let the, I can't let the cat out the bag on that one yet. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to checking in to find out what it is, though, man. That should be really cool. Uh, you've obviously running, I've mentioned you're running three businesses. You've got Breakpoint, you've got Battle Ready 360, which also has kind of subsidiaries like the Battle Box and Battle Ready Fuel. That's all about kind of, effectively, yep. it's a training service, isn't it? It's getting people in super shape. Um, and double yeah. global. So, I mean, tell me about them. What's how do you divide your time? 
Ah, oh, it's tough. It's tough. It's um, you know, we've got, but that's the important thing for me. I need to have something going on all the time because you know I need I need to have that traction of loads of loads of stuff. When I have periods of um, you know, well, I don't have them anymore. But when I have had periods of sort of downtime in the past, that's that's really when I start to uh, get distracted, which sounds you know, it's not it's not good for me to be sat there thinking what I should do. Um, but um, Breakpoint is, you know, we've had to shelve quite a lot of stuff for Breakpoint. You know, that's got the corporate, corporate training arm. So we haven't had to do much on with Breakpoint this year. But Battle Ready 360, you know, it's been brilliant this year. You know, we've got the Battle Box, which is basically a gym in a box. We've got live workouts, myself and Foxy from uh, SAS with their twins. And, um, and, yeah, it's an app. Uh, and, and it really focuses on mind, body, and fuel, which is nutrition. And then... Double O Global, which is my own personal company, uh, so that's um, that's my books, all my most motivational uh, training, my talks. I mean, I'm sat here in the, the Breakpoint Academy, which is our, our office, uh, big office up in um, in Shrewsbury, and uh, we've we've turned one of the classrooms here. We usually have um, clients here, but we've turned one of the classrooms into a studio. So a lot of the stuff we're doing, you know, by um, by uh, webinars. And, so we're extremely, extremely busy. But, you know, it's a great thing about having a few businesses because if we only had one and that was Breakpoint, you, you know, we'd be, uh, we'd be sat around, uh, you know, probably quite stressed at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Well, I mean, I'm loving the sound of the battle box and all the rest of it. I mean, you know, I'm a 43-year-old man who lockdown hasn't been the kindest to uh, in terms of, you know, because I, I, I've getting my excuses in early i've had lots and lots of injuries because i've been very sporty in my uh, in my life so i've broken my neck twice and bust my knees up wow. and all kinds of things so i've really hurt myself which means that there's certain exercises that i shy away from because i know it then equals five or six days of intense pain so i, mm. I can't, i'm one of those guys that when the gym's shut i'm like well there's food <laughs> you know <laughs> and I've, I've that's the problem with making too. the most of it <laughs> You're too close to the fridge with uh, with it being locked down. That's it. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So I th- maybe I need to get myself on the old Battle Ready 360 and get a battle box and just sort of try. You and absolutely do, mate. Charge at it and uh, and see if I can transform myself. Certainly, talking to you is incredibly inspiring, Ollie. And uh, I can't wait to Thank see you. what the plan is for the fiftieth. I tell you what, though, mate. Genuinely, yeah, I don't say this kind of super often on air because it sounds a bit kind of cliched, but you know. Battle Ready is going to change people's lives, your book, Battle Ready, without any shadow of a doubt. You know, if they take it properly and, and they kind of go in there, you know, your opening pages, you write, you get people to write a contract to themselves and just, you know, make a commitment. It's inspiring. And as for scar tissue, my goodness me, it's an unbelievable page turner. If you don't know your backstory, it's a cracking story. If you do know your backstory, it's like twice the jeopardy. It, you know, really sensational stuff. Congratulations, mate. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I do hope, you know, Battle Ready was um, such a phenomenal book for me because it, it comes from time served experience. You know, it's not come from research, it's come from life experience. And, and you know, I look back on myself as first. You know, I, I left the Special Forces and 10 years later I looked back and went, how have I come from such greatness? You know, a hero, if you want to call it that. But Hero to zero in ten years, and that sort of made me made, made me think that um, you know if I was there, you know if I had I'd reached the level of greatness at some point, I could get back to that, and that's what really helped me to pull my way back up. But um, and that process is listed in in Battle Ready, and it doesn't matter, you know, you don't have to. Be, people have got to understand that you don't have to be broken before you start to learn to to, to improve yourself. You know, yeah. 
prevention is far better than cure because you know a lot of people don't get out that, that dark and bottomless pit. Absolutely, absolutely, Ollie. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. The Andy J Podcast. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my next guest to the show. He's a singer, a songwriter, an actor, a fisherman. He owns a production company. He's a presenter. And I would say, best of all, he's a Geordie. It is the legend that is Mr. Robson Green. How are you doing, Robson? I'm, I'm, I'm all the better for listening to that build-up, and I apologise now for the anticlimax. <laughs> would, you, would you like to be my agent, Jay? I, I, do you know what? I'm, I'd be all over that. I would love to be your agent. Because <laughs> do, you know, do you know one thing that I've noticed, Robson, is that... And, and we've got to talk about the new show. There's loads I want to talk about. But sure. I've, I've been sure. fortunate enough to see Hadrian's Wall with Robson Green, Walking Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. I've seen the first uh-huh. episode. And one thing that is just so apparent is the outpouring of goodwill and affection that you have from, from the British public. So being your agent would be a slam dunk, a sin. <laughs> uh, do, do you know what? I like doing things that make me genuinely happy. Um, and if uh, I'm doing something that doesn't, I, I, I tend to move away from it. And uh, during my career and my life, I've been privileged enough to travel to over 130 countries around the world. And I've seen some amazing things and sites, and I've met some amazing people. And there's been something incredibly life-affirming about that. Uh, but there's something about when I've been traveling around the world and meeting these people and seeing these amazing things that I always still want to come home and I think it's the fact that uh, I have an affection for my home yeah. and the people and everything it represents. I think that transcends on, on, onto the screen. I don't know. I was just happy when I, I, I had a job offer, to be honest. So I think I, was, <laughs> I think I was being slightly over the top in my presenting. I think I present with a confidence that is wholly unwarranted sometimes. <laughs> uh, but um, there is uh, something genuine when I'm, I'm talking to people or, or talking to the lens uh, about what, what I say to the camera and what I have to say about the, the, the place I live that I'm still very proud to call home. I, I mean, honestly, I absolutely loved watching it. And I think when you're connected to the Northeast, my whole family hail from the Northeast. It's, it's you know, where my heart belongs. So I, I think there's something about wherever else you've been in the world, wherever else you live or you lay your hat, you know, the Northeast remains a, a point that just pulls on your heartstrings, doesn't it? Well, I think I think you hit it on the head there because you know it it is it is uh, a celebration of what is one of the most iconic monuments in the world. Let's not forget, two thousand years ago, fifteen thousand soldiers built this extraordinary structure that, in parts, was ten foot wide, thirty two foot high, and over eighty miles in length. Yeah. Where did they get the material from? How did they build it? How long did it take them? And what must it have looked like? And the effect it would have had on the people alongside that. And that's one of the themes. And we can go on. It took those 15,000 soldiers uh, six years to build. I mean, not only were the Roman soldiers a formidable fighting force, but they they must have been extraordinary craftsmen, uh, stonemasons and engineers, engineers, and architects, of course. But the theme that runs through it is, is, is a sense of place. If you know your history, if you know your, know your origins, and you can paint a picture of what life was like 2,000 years ago, let's not forget it was a Roman Empire. So there, you know, obviously part of the empire was England and Wales, and there was, there was, there was people from France and Romania and Egypt and Iraq and Libya and mm. Syria and Spain. There was so much color here in Northumberland. It must have been an extraordinary sight. 
Um, and if you know about that, so it, you, you think, oh, so people traveling around the world and making, you know, different parts of the world their home is nothing new, is nothing to be surprised about. And I think this journey's made me realize that, you know, home isn't your living room. It isn't the, the street or the town that you live in. And it's, it's not what you can touch. I think home, and, you know, we, we had a, a chat before we came on air. I think home is a feeling. Mm. I, and I, as I said at the start, I've, I've, I've traveled all over the world and I've always wanted to come home. There's very few places I've gone, you know, I could stay here. There's only one place in the world, I think it's called Glenorchy in South Island, New Zealand. I could live there. But coming back here, it, it is a feeling. It is a sense of place. It is a sense of identity. And it, I just think it's where your heart takes you. Yeah, It's where you feel most comfortable, you know. You're absolutely right. And and for those that aren't as familiar with the Northeast as, as you and I, who've spent a lot of time there, you know, it's also jaw-droppingly gorgeous, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, I, goodness, I've, I've had the pleasure of, of, of being in Patagonia and Terra del Fuego. I've, I've been to Alaska, Homer, Alaska. I've traveled in Argentina, most countries in South America, and Australia and the outback. But, you know, You've got to remember Northumberland National Park is one of the more, most jaw-dropping sites mm. in the world. And what the, hopefully this program reminds us all is that sometimes what we pay a lot of money to try and see and, and try and get that feeling that I was describing before, a sense of place, is actually on your doorstep. I mean, literally, as I look to the right, as I'm talking to you now in my house, there's, there's the River Tyne. 15 feet away. I live on the River Tyne. Oh. And uh, two minutes away is, is Hadrian's Wall, is the Fort of Housebeds, is Sycamore Gap, which is a beautiful walk, is the Pennine Way. And I, I think, you know, we, we've got to remind ourselves that sometimes home is a beautiful place to behold and we, and we need to kind of treasure that and and look after it. Because if we do look after your home and, you know, uh, the jaw-dropping sites we have are managed and they're looked after. And it, it, I do believe that if you look after a place and take care of it and celebrate it, it'll look after you, you know. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you all the way, Robson. And, and yeah, actually, yeah. W- with regards to the show, which, by the way, I should say, Channel 5, it's also streaming on My 5, etc. You know, I, I, yeah. I urge people to seek it out because it's delightful for three reasons. We've discussed the, the backdrop of the Northeast, which is glorious. Then, of course, mm. there's the, the sheer fascination of the wall and, and what it was, what it is, what's become of it. I think only 10% of the wall is still in place. You know, where's the rest gone? All of this stuff is explored by you. And then the third thing, if you don't mind me saying, is is your good self. You know, if, if you told me before I'd watched the show, oh, you know, there's a three-minute sequence of, of Robson eating peas pudding sandwich, I'd have been like, oh, that'll be gripping. But it's joyful. It's a lovely... <laughs> do you know what? It's just lovely because you... But, uh, yeah, I mean, peas pudding, you say that south of... Of, of the River Tyne. They don't know what you're talking about. I actually <laughs> asked for it because I work a lot in London. I asked for peas pudding if I have a ham sandwich. They don't know what I'm talking about. But basically, it's chickpeas boiled in, in with a ham hock, and it's the most delightful kind of paste you could put on a sandwich. And it's, it's as I say, in I think in the program, it's like eating Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. It's, but it's, it's joyous. But... It's, it's, it's a joyous taste, and I, 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 I honestly encourage people to to experience it. It's wonderful. It's a it's a ballet on the taste buds. It's, oh, it's, I love it's it. Delight. And it, and I don't know about you, but there's certain smells and sights and things that remind you of your childhood. Yeah. And I think what this program is about is give me the boy of seven, 
and I give you the man. And, you know, walking alongside Hadrian's Wall in the beautiful part of the world that is Northumberland is just as joyous today as it was back then when I was walking with my mum and dad. Dad's sadly no longer with us. And, um, you know, it is a really life-affirming, feel-good, charming, likable story. It is. And, I, I, and, you know, I say from the start, and I make it very clear, well, it's just obviously clear when you're watching it, I'm not a, an expert on, on the Roman Empire or the history. Uh, that's imparted by the, 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 the people who know a lot more about it than me. But what, what you get is, is, is the fact that millions of people from all over the world come to visit this site and be it from Syria or Iran. There's in, in one of the, the episodes, I meet a, a wonderful young astronomer called Nazanin Jahanshani from uh, Iran. And she's made her home here. And one of the, the, the things that give her a sense of place is the fact knowing that there were thousands of people from Iran here mm. thousands of years ago. And I meet a, a, a journalist from the, from the Guardian who's Syrian. And again, the same reason, knowing that your ancestors were here. And again, one of the overriding themes is, you know, that wall stood for 300 years. The culture existed for 300 years. And then there's this notion that the Romans left. Are you telling me after 300 years or during that 300 year period, Roman soldiers who couldn't marry weren't having relations with the local ladies? Yep. For sure. And do you, know, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? So there, there, there were children, there were generations of families. So it's still here and it's still alive. And what, once, once, once you kind of know that, you know a bit about yourself. And so you know your origins, you know how you fit within the world. So maybe you get an idea of where you're going. And bottom line, you have an overwhelming sense of well-being. We could be, Robson, just thinking about it, we, we could be descendants of, of emperors. Oh, gotcha, Augustus. Yeah, in, in, in a certain light, you know, in, in a certain light. <laughs> uh, well, Ooh. I've certainly got the nose for it, that's for sure. So, <laughs> Same here, mate. Same here. But Same I guess, you know, Robson, one of the things I was thinking about the other day is timelines of people's careers. And mm. sometimes I believe, because, you know, I've, I've been in broadcasting now, you know, nearly 25 years, and, and, and I know yeah. that you've been on the scene for, for even longer than I have. 37. And, and, well, there you go. I didn't want to say it, but there you go. And, and I often believe that you get the jobs that you're ready for. And, you know, for example, us having this chat now, I probably couldn't have done this five years ago. I probably couldn't have done it before I was a dad, for example, just because of the understanding that you get on life sure. and, and all that. And, sure. and as I watched you walking Hadrian's Wall, I thought to myself, this is absolutely spot on with you right now because you have this warmth and this depth and this understanding about life and this ability to share that... I'm not saying you were a closed book 10 years ago or anything like that, but mm. I just think with, with all the fishing and all the, all the camera time you've had and this, this yeah. understanding of, do you know what, the audience, I can let them in now. You know, yeah. I just feel, well, it's, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course I know what you mean. Um, you know, as, as an actor, it's, it's just a strange one as an actor, because as I get older as an actor, I sometimes catch myself going, I'm doing it, I did it. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be filming Grantchester at the moment. I'm right. blessed and fortunate to have a job, which is great. But I, I was doing a scene last year, and, uh, you know, they're all wearing masks and everything. And, and, and it's set in the 1950s. And don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful story. But I was investigating this murder, as you do as a detective in the 1950s, with a, a vicar alongside me, played by the wonderful Tom Brittany. And there was just a moment as I was rehearsing it, I just... 
I just thought about the absurdity of it all. I'm not a detective. I wouldn't know what a detective does. But also, you know, I'm suspending disbelief um, and pretending to be someone else. And, you know, one of the good, good things about acting is if you can fake sincerity, you've cracked it. Um, however, as a presenter, you have to be sincere yeah. and you have to be honest. And a lot of the times, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'll be honest with you, many, many times I have acted and presented with a confidence that is wholly unwarranted because it's not me. Um, when this offer came along uh, last year, uh, walking alongside a beautiful monument and, and a history lesson that would unfold, I just thought, well, yeah, that's that's me. You've got the right guy. I'm I'm unimpeachable um, because of what I know, not only about the area and Northumberland and Hexham, my home and the wall, but I love it. I genuinely love it, and and I feel connected to it. And you know, you have this sense of kind of flow when you're talking. There, there are moments. Don't get me wrong. There were tough moments because the producers didn't want to see a mask in the background. If you notice in that episode, there wasn't a mask in yeah, the background. Yeah, so every way right. we went. The, the big issue when we were filming was, we want this, we want to take people away from the pandemic. It, it's, as important as it is in life and the most critical thing that's going on at the minute, we want people not to escape, but just to tell a story that where you can actually follow it, enjoy it, and, and, and feel good, not only about the story, but yourself at the end of it. And uh, I think that, that that comes across, you know, when, when, I, when I'm telling a story, I think what I'm trying to articulate, I was at ease with the story and myself. And that's a good place to be, I think, at the age of 56. Because I don't know about you, when I was seven and I looked at a guy who was 56 years old, I used to think, how are you still alive? <laughs> when I was seven, I thought 30 was old, Robson. Yeah, you know? I know. I know, Jay. <laughs> It's one of these really tough ones, isn't it? You just kind of go, wow. I mean, but this is the thing, right? So I'm 43 now, and I, and I kind of look in the mirror, and I and I look at this old dude staring at the back in my eye, and I go, well, I don't feel how I look. And, it's, yeah. and I've done, I, I've recently, um, I've just had a TV show out on the Discovery Network about, uh, you know, yeah. th three mates with, with some cool cars. And... It, that was, again, filmed during lockdown. And again, we were, you know, we, we didn't do the face mask things. We were Corona tested constantly and, and yeah. all, all the rest of it. COVID tested, sorry, rather than Corona. Yeah. Um, same thing, really. But when I watched the show back, when I reviewed it, because it only just came out, I was like, wow, no, I am. I am that old guy, aren't I? Because, you, you yeah. know, when you see yourself in 3D, you know, it's, it's one thing seeing yourself yeah. in the mirror and you could go, maybe the light's bad. But when you see it properly, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, and I and I, I have put on a bit of lockdown timber. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> Don't. I am no stranger to the sweet trolley. Oh. I, 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 I made a New Year's resolution that I'm going to give up on coffee. I'm going to give up alcohol. I'm going to give up chocolate, all processed sugars. It was the worst 10 minutes of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was like, I, I can't do this. But I, I must admit, uh, you know, with, with social media and everything, and I don't do social media. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a, a technophobe and I'm, um, I'm not very good on, on Twitter and everything. And my dad, God rest his soul, before he passed, he used to say, Twitter's for people who can't shut off even when they're on their own. <laughs> <laughs> I can't agree. Point. Uh, I can't agree, especially <laughs> what was happening yesterday in America. But oh, um, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, no, I, I just, I, I look at myself at the age of thirty, 
and it's it, and I, I you know I was really fit and I was doing a show. I, uh, there was a film I did called uh, Blind Ambition, and I played a, a, a runner, and uh, I was hurtling around the Olympic track in uh, in in Australia and, and filming, and I was pretty good, and I was getting really good times, and I was being trained by Brendan Foster, and wow. I was like a gazelle. I was like a gazelle, <laughs> mate. I can't, I mean, I, I just look, I look like I'm troubled when I try to run now. It's, it's the old dad run. <laughs> you know, you just go, bless, oh, Well, hey, listen, it's better than the old dad dance, you know, and I, oh, that's, I know. that's what that, my man. kitchen's become these days. Never mind Sophie oh. Ellis-Bexter with her kitchen discos. You've got old lardy Andy bouncing around and <laughs> hoping for the best, <laughs> embarrassing the boys left, right and centre. I mean, the, can we have a quick chat about, about your career, Robson, because... You know, sure. it, it has been when you just look at your CV, I mean, your your personal website, for example, you need to have an A to Z index. You've just done that much. And that's I mean, that in itself is incredible. You know, you're one of these people that if you Wikipedia yourself or whatever, it just it goes on and on and on and on and on. And of course, one of the facts that comes out very quickly is that you had the bug very early doors at school. You know, it was like you, you, you had made a decision. You didn't want to go down the mines, not like your dad, not like your granddad. You wanted yeah. to do something different. And I believe yeah. it was acting or a toss of the coin between acting and, and the RAF. And yeah. Yeah, I learned at a very early age that if the RAF and I were to survive, we would have to part. So that was a non-starter. Right. But the thing about storytelling, which is what actors do, and I told many stories and played characters in many stories, um, my my mother and father had great taste in cinema and theatre. You know, the, the, the notion that miners and housewives, you know, stereotyped did, did certain things and dad went to the pub and mum would be cooking the dinner. Uh, well, that was debunked with my mum and dad because, you know, we went and we were entertained in the cinema. We'd go and see bands live bands in the clubs my dad was a great singer so I, I was surrounded by storytelling and art and creativity and uh my dad who was a minor for 42 years of his life always told me that you know the word work is a word that's not meant to be enjoyed that is why you call it work mm. so find something that i said at the start of our chat that makes you genuinely happy then you'll never have to work again in your life and there was something about uh, there was a defining moment when I saw Cool Hand Luke with oh, Paul Newman yeah. and and his performance in that. I was so moved by it and so gripped by it and the way he told the story through the window to his soul with his eyes, those extraordinary eyes. And and then I saw Bette Nott and Broomsticks and then I saw The Magnificent Seven and right. I just thought this, this window to the world and it was a world I, I wanted to be part of at, at a very young age. Um, didn't think I could make a career out of it, but there was something in life that I could do, like fishing, like singing, that would make me genuinely happy. If I got paid for it, that's an absolute bonus. And so um, I, I don't know where the ability comes from for me to be able to stand up and articulate a, a narrative or a story or a character. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it was that hidden subtext of, I'm not going to go down the mine. Right. I, I I don't want to be in an industry that's, in my view, not designed for human beings. Uh, maybe it, it was that, and and an escape from poverty. You know, we economically we, we we were unstable as a family, so maybe it was that 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 was driven. Maybe maybe it was struggle that that drove that 
ability, that need, that it was a matter of, as, as a, you know, I've worked in America, a lot of the actors I've worked alongside in America, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a matter of life or death in a, in a kind of strange way that, you know, they've got to get it right. They care enough about it and they're passionate enough about it and they love what they're doing so much that nothing else matters. And so from the onset, uh, that's what kind of I, I had within my kind of DNA, this, this need to tell stories, do them to, to the best of my ability, and, and hopefully make sure people had a good night out and were just entertained from, you know, sometimes a, a job that was, was, was hard and sometimes mundane and difficult and tiring. There was this moment in their life where you could make them happy or make them escape from that feeling. So I've always had that within me and it it remains to this day. And I think I work hard and I think I care enough about what I do. You know, before our chat, I mean, I've got tons of A4 pieces of paper in front of me with with notes. You know, what can I say about this story that's going to make people watch it? And and I think one of the things is it will be entertaining. It'll make you feel good about yourself. It'll make you feel good about the world you live in, uh, despite everything else that's going on beyond your control, which is a global pandemic. Yes, yes. And, and you know, it's so interesting that you, you, you shared that it was filmed during the pandemic, because as you say, the absence of face masks, it did make me think, oh, gosh, I wonder if this was filmed, you know, a couple of yeah, years ago. Yeah, I mean, just... yeah, we, we were tested uh, constantly, like, like you were when you were doing your show. But it was a skeleton crew, gorgeous director, Sam Palmer, uh, lovely operator, Drew Ferguson, and uh, Adam Murdoch, who looked after it. Um, my partner, Zoila, was part of it. And uh, we just made it work. Yeah. There were times that were difficult when we couldn't go into public buildings because of the protocols. There was a whole sequence we were going to talk about during Roman times. A lot of foraging was going on. There was lots of fruits from the forests around Northumberland. There was, there was wildlife that you, you could eat. There was salmon in the river. We wanted all these sequences. But when it came to the cooking, it went against all the protocols yeah. of COVID. Yeah. That whole sequence had to be stopped, uh, which was, a, which was a, a, a real shame. But there was just a will to get it done. And you know what? At that three-week period, I mean, you know, I did walk 84 miles, but actually because the, the logistics, we shot it out of sequence. I ended up walking about 160 miles. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it, it was really enjoyable. It was really enjoyable. And I think the guys who came from London who were on the show uh, filming it discovered something new about Northumberland and the history of it and this extraordinary gem that resides on this amazing planet and uh they they loved it and they they're all going to come back and, and walk it themselves of course and i think that's what you yeah. do i think that's the message i think people will, will, will see it and go oh, i want to do that oh. it takes about six days and there's some beautiful places you can camp along the way which is what i did i was so or impressed can... with that by the way that, that you actually could... i wasn't mate <laughs> <laughs> No, that novelty wore off after about five minutes, let me tell you. <laughs> I'd have been exactly the same, mate, to be fair. But I genuinely thought to myself, I mean, fair play to you. Because, you know, you, you pull up in your Defender and you get your, you get your backpack on. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he's either doing this for real or he's going to carry a weight around whenever he's, whenever he's on camera. And, and that in itself well, is you know, fair play. Well, I'm sure you know now in documentaries because of things that, and, and things that have happened in the past that are um, being slightly economic with the truth. Compliance tells you if you're going to camp, you have to camp. Yeah. You can't just put up a tent and not sleep in it. You've got to sleep in it. 
And if you're going to say you're going to walk uh, from Segedunum all the way to Hexham, you can't fake it. You have to do it over a long, long period of time. So, you know, it's a, what would usually take five days took three and a half weeks, up to four weeks with all the drone pickups and everything. So that's why I said I, I, instead of walking 80 miles, I walked 160 because we had to pick up certain shots again. So I'm walking up Steel Rig or I'm walking along the Sycamore Gap or I'm walking along a section of, of househeads, you know, which is, is quite, a, quite a task. Your drone pilot must have loved it, though, because the shots that yeah, he's got, exactly. the aerial shots, are, oh, just gorgeous. I know. Yeah, and there's a, there's a section of the wall where really you become a drone yourself, which is steel rig. Anyone who knows the wall, that, that point at steel rig during the, uh, the, the, the spring months, uh, if you get to the top of steel rig, you basically have a bird's eye view of where you've come from and where you're going along the wall. Remember, it's 80 miles in length. So on a good evening, as that sun is setting in the west, you've got the Northumbrian National Park to the north. You've got the Cheviot Hills, you know, traveling over to the west. You've got the beautiful Team Valley and the Pennine Way just flowing out in front of you. And with the sun and the light that hits Northumberland, it is really something to behold. We call it the magic hour. And it is really, really beautiful. And did you know, if you're an astronomer, one of the best places, very few people know this, one of the best places to stargaze wow. is Northumberland. We have the darkest night skies in Europe. And um, that, that's a sight to behold when, when you know, you've got, you've got a clear sky. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. What, just because of the complete lack of light pollution? Yeah, there's no, there's no light pollution. No, it's beautiful. And the observatory, the Kielder Observatory in Northumberland is, is astonishing. And the people who are there, just amazing. That, that, that's the thing about this, this, this whole journey. It was a real lesson in lots of things it was the greatest classroom to be part of because I, I was never i don't know about you but i was never any good at history at school it was just because i was bored didn't i saw what history is like the history teacher <laughs> had the, had his, had the soul removed from his body oh, no. and i thought that's what history does to you you know yeah I'm we've all had the words birth and wine spring to mind you know? <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the people we met in keeled observatory the forensic archaeologists i met in vendalander this gorgeous woman called Trudy Buck, who, when she looks at a bone, can tell the age, the gender, the hair color, the eye color no. of the person this, 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 these bones belong to. And so suddenly they start painting a picture and they bring, they bring life and they bring um, movement and they bring sounds and they bring smells and they bring pictures to mind. And it's just a great history lesson, man. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, ge genuinely, I, I have absolutely loved it. I can't wait to see the rest of it. It's, Brilliant. you know, for me, it's like a little slice of home. My, I mean, my, my sister was, she got engaged on the wall. Her, her now husband took her to the wall to propose, which was a, wow. you know, lovely, lovely thing. So, and that was, you know, everyone has their own memories of things. And of course, people that aren't from the Northeast, there's still so much to enjoy. And I mean, in a way... It's almost one of the big, I mean, it is, isn't it? It's one of the wonders of the world. When you think about how the pyramids were built and stuff, you think, how on earth did that happen? What was that? Was that yeah. a UFO that did that? And in the same way, when you, as you say, you know, 10 foot wide and what is it, 32 feet high, 80 miles long, uh, how on earth did they build this thing? You know, just remarkable. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is an extraordinary feat of engineering. 15,000 soldiers building this thing. Where did they get the stone from? They got it from a place called Geltwood. That's where they quarried the stones. They were great stonemasons. And I went and I abseiled down. I'm an Arata level one climber, so I abseiled down the, the, the quarry. Brilliant. And there's Roman, there's Roman graffiti there. Wow. And there is, 
Optio was here. Augustus was here. I swear, it's there. 2,000-year-old graffiti. And it, of, of, of a century which of, of, of 80 men working there. This was us. This is who we, this is who we, we are. This is who we were. And I, I look at myself and I go, oh, right, maybe I know who I am then, you know, from, from, from the information you get from all the, the, the kind of walk and the journey I embarked on. I love it. I love it. Has it has it made you want to do more like this now, Robson? Because, of course, you know, you've had so many fabulous moments and highs in your career. You know, obviously the acting from Soldier to Soldier, Wire in the Blood, Grantchester, mm. like you're doing at the moment. And, of course, the, the singing. You know, I mean, Simon yeah. Cowell seized on that moment, didn't he? And, and Hey, let's let go. Well, that was, just, you know, careers sometimes take you in, in very strange directions. And, you know, the Robson and Jerome career... Uh, was quite an extraordinary one for those of you who are too young to remember. In the mid nineties, uh, myself and my one of my best friends, Jerome Flynn, were doing a show called Soldier Soldier. It was a monster of a show. Twenty two million yeah. people were watching yeah. it. Huge. And in one of the episodes, myself and Jerome decided to sing Unchained Melody. The band hadn't turned up for the wedding. Hugh, uh, Tucker, and Paddy singing uh, Unchained Melody it wasn't the best version uh, by far. Uh, however. Millions of people wanted to buy the record. Yeah. And in 1995, in the Guinness Book of Records, you will see that Robson and Jerome had the fastest selling single in the history of British popular music, outselling, outselling the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, Elton John, David Bowie, you name it, yeah. which was bizarre. But I think the highlight of the music, and I think everybody will agree that, that the best part of music was when we stopped. <laughs> I, think, I think it was the best part and I, I tell you and, 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 and added on to that there was a, a, a program on television called Animal Hospital and obviously the singing act was called Robson and Jerome and on Animal Hospital a woman brought in two guinea pigs guess what their names were Jay <laughs> Robson and, and Jerome and when asked, brilliant uh, yeah, they were called Robson and Jerome and when asked what seems to be the problem with your guinea pigs she said it's Robson he's not right <laughs> and I just went yeah got to stop got to stop I mean, what I mean, there's a lovely way of putting it. But it, you did so well, you know. I mean, it was. It was crazy. You could, you could say, oh yeah, well, Unchained Melody, one hit wonder. That was not the case. I mean, you had another no. two, two or three number one. Three, three, yeah, yeah. And three, three number one albums and yeah. videos, and wanted us to tour America. But um, I enjoyed uh, music is a form of storytelling. All songs are stories, and uh, I, you know, I'm a trained singer, as is Jerome, and we can sing, and uh, we got a gorgeous. Uh, letters from the, the composers uh, Hi Zarek and Alex North who wrote Unchained Melody and they went thanks for the cash guys <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, you know uh, I, I've sang in musicals I've sang in theatre um, I can dance and stuff it's all part of the, 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 the kind of ammunition you need as an actor but in answer to your question you know looking ahead during the last third of my life what would I like to do yeah I'd like to tell more stories like Hadrian's Wall I'd love to do Told the world about the Viking invasions that that, that happened here, yeah. uh, the things that happened at Lindisfarne, the extraordinary you know parts of Cumbria that are still undiscovered. Well, <clears throat> there will be if I kind of trample around them. But uh, there's <laughs> just there's just um, so much beauty to behold here, and you know as an actor, don't get me wrong, I love it. I love it. It's hard work, you know, getting up five o'clock in the morning every morning and and getting in the, into the chair at six o'clock not finishing till eight and and as i say faking sincerity in, in a pretty decent way that kept me going all these years i would like to kind of be myself right more do you know what i mean yeah. if that makes sense yeah absolutely yeah. 
no, it makes complete sense. And and because you're so good at it, if that makes sense. That's very kind. You know? That's very kind. <laughs> it's you know, I just I felt like I got to know you better watching the show, and it, and I I just loved it. I thought, what a what a truly your gem, absolute gem of a human being. Oh, I really you. really enjoyed it. You know, your honesty, oh, your warmth, your you know your 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 awareness of the world and and what's around it. It was you know. It, it, it's it was it was a sort of it's a bit like when you watch the likes of Chris Packham and when you watch David Attenborough, but without you know without the animals. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just get a sense of the human being, and 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 that sense that that struck me so much was goodness and kindness and decency and all the values that I think the Northeast stands for as well. You know, proper, honest, kind, accepting, decent people. And and I just thought you were fantastic. I loved it. Loved it. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, I live in a part of the world called Hexham in Northumberland. And I don't know if you know, it was voted the happiest place to live in the UK. Brilliant. It's true. It was voted. And for the reasons you've just explained, it has integrity. Uh, there's, there's decency here. There is one of the few things that very few places in the Northeast have is space and space to enjoy. And and there is there is love here and affection. And they look after it. And Northumberland looks after us. Oh, brilliant. Love it. Take me home, mate. That's what I say. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just it's just glorious having a slice of it. And uh, Robson, what a joy. Thank you so much for the conversation. I've, I've really loved every second. I've, I've loved the show, but but having this moment with you as well has been a, a really a real high point for me. So thank you so much. If you're enjoying the Andy J podcast, we'd love a review. In fact, if you're enjoying the show, why not tell your friends? Podcasts live and die on, well, often word of mouth. So please tell your friends. Like, subscribe, review and share. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.